are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. This summer, I have felt such a burning in my heart and a desire to love and study the Word of God like never before. And I don't know if you've noticed the consistent Word of the Lord to us directing us to the Word of God, the powerful preaching that Pastor Tom has done in the last several weeks, and the consistency of what God is saying to us in this church, that we must look to the Word of God. We must live in that abiding love of God for Him to direct our lives. And so let's get into the Word of God, because when we spend time in His Word, we spend time with God. His word is exalted above his name. And that should jolt you as an apostolic. Because we put high priority on the name of Jesus, don't we? Because we believe there's no other name. And yet, and yet his word is exalted above his name. Why? Because he is the word. We talked about that older apostle John that he waited later in his life to write his gospel. And when he did, he began it by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That old seasoned man of God said, what you need to know, first of all, is that God and his Word are inseparable, and you need them in your life and in your world. And I just want to remind you that this is why Satan will work so hard to keep you out of the Word of God in your daily devotions. He'll do everything he can to keep you from this house on a Wednesday and a Sunday or a life group where you're going to talk about and hear about the Word of God. And if he can't keep you away from the Word of God, then he'll do what he can to discredit the Word of God, to confuse you about its message, to distort it in some way. Isn't that what he did in the Garden of Eden? Isn't it what he tried to do with the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness? And so you and I are wise to consider the fact that the Word of God is necessary for us. Jeremiah said it was the the joy and rejoicing of his heart. Isaiah said the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. It's sweeter than honey, David said. Jesus said it was our spiritual sustenance, that it is a mirror to our soul. It is a sword in our hand. It is very pure. It is better than gold. It's better than silver. It cleanses us. It corrects us. It strengthens us. And it directs us. No one else's words can do what God's word can do in our lives. Amen. I'm sorry. I just had to get that out of my spirit a little bit. It's just been burning up in me. Jesus, we need the word of God. On Christ the solid rock, I stand. I stand on his word. Amen. So we're going to begin a new series tonight. And I feel like I say this every time. This series is a little different. So I don't know what's normal around here. But this is a unique series. That's what I will say. In that, in the next few weeks, you're going to hear from different people. Because your pastors are crazy people, and we have crazy schedules for the next few weeks, so bear with us. Um, You will have different speakers who have been given the opportunity to pick a biblical character, whoever the Lord leads them to teach you from. 
And so when Tom explained to me that I got to pick a Bible character, you know what happened inside my brain. I got so excited, and I knew immediately who I wanted to do because she is one of my favorite women in Scripture, and I know it shocks you that I'm teaching on a woman tonight, but I want to talk to you about Lydia. And so tonight, I'm going to call my lesson A Study in Purple. All right? Does anybody have notebooks or Bibles open want us to look at the Word of God together? I'm excited. I hope you're excited. So here we go. There aren't too many characters in Scripture that I specifically remember the first time I heard of them. I grew up in this church. If you didn't know that, I know of no, no other thing, no other routine in my life. And so I remember the first time I heard Lydia's name. Is Sister Teresa in here? Teresa, There you are. Yay. I'm so glad you're in here because I'm going to talk about you. It was fall on Kemper Road. And I know that because it was time to get ready for Sister Teresa's iconic hallelujah party. Where we would dress up like Bible characters. And it was awesome. It was so exciting. And my mom wasn't as excited as the four of us were. And now I understand. She, she would tell you she was not inspired. She was not inspired to cut more holes in bed sheets, you know, and figure out how to tie a piece of rope around our heads, you know. There was only so much you could do for four girls. But we got to dress up, and we were all so excited about it. She had games. We ate, you know, junk food, and everyone else was in church. It was just like the best Wednesday of the year. And we would get so excited picking who, you know, we were going to dress up as uh, from the Bible. And it was really a genius idea because all of a sudden we had this total interest in learning about obscure characters in Scripture, you know. And so um, she would give prizes. That was a big deal. Um, Best costume was one of them. I think Joe Wilson won that several times because Aunt Connie would go all out. And she could sew, you know, and the rest of us had material with a hole cut in the top and put over our heads. And Joe looked amazing, so he won a lot. Um, And then there was a prize for most creative, which if I remember correctly, Brother Bruce, McLean usually went home with the most creative prize because Brother Bruce was amazing at making little sets and stuff for their kids. And so then there was a prize for whoever knew the most about their character which dad was very committed to trying to getting us ready to win that prize. Um, But then the most coveted prize was um, for the person who basically came up with a a new person, somebody that, you know, either no one knew about or no one had ever dressed up as. And that really intrigued me because I I wanted an original idea, okay? And so I was always kind of like, Dad, you got to help me think of somebody, you know? And so one year he said, well, what about Lydia, Chris? And I remember saying, who is Lydia? And I remember thinking in my child brain, that doesn't even sound like a Bible name. Like, (laughs) did you just make that up for my benefit? Yeah, you don't know who it is because they're not in there. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, who is Lydia? And I remember so well how his expression changed. He got so excited and he leaned down on my face and he said, well, Chris, the Bible says that she was a seller of purple. Well, sold. (laughs) Because I'm a Pasley, and purple is a big deal. 
in the Pasley family and has been for generations. I mean, I remember Bishop Grandad would say, purple is the color of royalty. And so when we would play dress up, oh, yes, Grandad, we want to wear the purple shawl, you know. And then Grandma, she loved to wear purple. My dad loved purple. Just look around. I mean, this place... (laughs) Is purple, okay? And so I was excited that Lydia was a seller of purple, but that was basically all I knew. But I was, I was prepared for Sister Teresa's class. And so Lydia is one of the characters in Scripture that is mentioned specifically in only a few verses. And you know I love that. Because those kind of characters intrigue me. Because it begs the question, what is so significant about them about their life or what they contributed to the Bible story that, that bears them being mentioned, even if it's only for one or two verses. People like, you know, Abraham, Moses, Paul, they get a lot of on-screen time, if you will. You know, and somebody like Lydia kind of makes a cameo appearance. She doesn't even get 15 minutes of fame, you guys. I mean, five verses, that's it. But she just kind of shows up on the scene and then... We never hear about her again. And so what is it about Lydia that finds her included in the history of that powerful early church? What about her story made Dr. Luke feel compelled to share it, if only for just a few verses in the book of Acts? There are so many miracles. There is so much happening in the book of Acts. Mighty outpourings, people getting up and walking, people being healed by the shadows of the apostles. And yet there's these few verses that mention this woman named Lydia. And so let's look in Acts chapter 16 together. We will read the first four verses that mention her. Verses 12 through 15. And from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so the other verse that she's mentioned in, we'll read in just a little bit. It's actually also in Acts chapter 16. But I think it's fair to say that there's a lot we don't know about this woman named Lydia. So let us examine what we do know, remembering that everything in the Bible is there for a reason. Dr. Luke wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost when he wrote the book of Acts. And so this is what he wanted us to know about Lydia. So I have a slide here, things the Bible tells us about Lydia. If you're taking notes, um, you may want to start here. Number one, Lydia was a businesswoman. She sold purple cloth, and this cloth would have been expensive, which means her target market market was the rich. She wasn't just selling this stuff anywhere and everywhere. Only certain people could have afforded the fabric that she was selling. And uh, number two, most likely uh, Lydia was successful, at least moderately successful, because the Bible lets us know 
that she was a homeowner. And so from this, we can deduce that she was single. We don't know if she had been married at some point in her life. The Bible doesn't tell us that specifically. But what we know is that she was the head of her household and that she owned a large home. All right, the next fact about Lydia is that she's from Thyatira, which is modern-day Turkey. This area would have been very multicultural, and the main religious influence of the area was the worship of the sun god Apollo, so in a pagan nation, if you will. And then the last one, and I actually have um, a picture, a couple of pictures here, if they would be ready to put those up, that Lydia met Paul at a riverside prayer meeting just outside the city of Philippi in Macedonia. And this meeting takes place right before Paul and Silas end up in the Philippian jail. And I have a picture of the river that many believe this would be probably one of the spots where most likely Paul baptized Lydia. Isn't that awesome? So cool. Um, Kate, did you go there on your Greece trip? Yeah, I was so jealous. Oh, and so there is actually like this um, baptismal area there now in a visitor center, and you can go visit where Paul baptized Lydia. So pretty amazing. So I want to pause here a moment, and I want to give context for what was taking place in the church before Lydia's conversion, before she met Paul and Silas by the river that day. So in the beginning of Acts 16, we see young Timothy join Paul and Silas. At that time, they were traveling to different churches. If you recall, in Acts chapter 15, there was a council at Jerusalem. There's a big church leader meeting because so many new converts, so many Gentiles coming into the church, and that these Jews could not agree on, well, what do we teach them about the law? What do we require of these people that don't know anything about Jehovah, that have just learned about Jesus Christ and what he did in their lives? And so they came together in Acts 15. They prayed together. They fasted together. They made those decisions together as church leaders. And then they sent individuals like Paul and Silas to travel with letters to the different churches to say, this is what we've decided. This is what we're going to teach in our churches. This is how we're going to handle the assimilation process, Sister E. This is Discover Calvary for us, you guys. This is Membership 101, okay? And so they're traveling. Timothy gets to join them. Most likely, Luke was a part of that as well because you notice in the text, he's speaking as if he's there, right? So they come together, and it's at this point in time where Paul and Barnabas have that infamous argument over young John Mark. Remember we talked about that in the Gospels? Paul was mad. He was, it's cutoff time. Barnabas said, I disagree. They parted ways. And so Paul and Silas join um, each other and they go. And so they're traveling. They're on their way to Bithynia, the Bible says. And you're probably familiar with this. It is on that trip that in a vision in the night, Paul sees a man from Macedonia saying to him, what? Come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, so he takes this as a word from the Lord to say, you know what, we're going on a detour. The Lord wants us to go to Macedonia. Okay, and it's so they are on their way. They're passing through Philippi. They're there on the Sabbath and they're looking for a synagogue. They're looking for a place to worship. But the Jewish influence was so minimal in that area. There was no synagogue. And so the verses we read said they went to a river hoping they would come across 
a prayer meeting. And sure enough, they did. Bible says there were a bunch of women praying by the river. And Lydia was one of those women. And so I want us to pause here for a moment and, and emphasize the fact that when Paul met Lydia, the Bible says that he talked to her. She was at that prayer meeting. He talked to her. And even though we do not know exactly what he shared with her, I think we can guess what he shared with her. I think we know what Paul taught Lydia that day. She was in a prayer meeting, so obviously she was a spiritual person. She was devout in what she knew to do for the Lord. And Paul taught her, like he did everybody else in the book of Acts, you need to be baptized. And if you haven't been filled with the Spirit, you know what? You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to repent of your sins. We see this consistency throughout the book of Acts. And so we can assume that that's what he taught her because the Bible lets us know in the verses that we read that guess what? After the conversation with Paul, what did Lydia do? Lydia was baptized in that river. Isn't that amazing? Me and I would love for that to happen after a Bible study of mine. It's going to happen someday in Jesus' name. My God. Amen. So Lydia becomes the first European convert of the early church. I love that because Paul's vision, I'm sorry, I have to point this out, was of a man from Macedonia, right? And yet, for some reason, God sent them to Lydia that day. Could it be that Lydia's prayers were so sincere that they were so powerful and meaningful in the eyes of God that maybe he deterred them even yet again to say, you know what, you got to stop by Philippi because there is a woman that is so hungry for more of me. You've got to talk to her. I think that's awesome that a woman was the first recipient of the gospel after that Macedonian call. Amen. I don't know why that is, and that's the point, because the gospel is for everybody. There is neither Jew nor Greek. We love to jump up and down about that. But there is neither male nor female. There is neither bond nor free. It's not about your gender. It's not about your social status. Just because she was a female didn't disqualify her. And just because she was successful didn't disqualify her. She needed the gospel. Everybody does. But Lydia was not the only person baptized that day. Her entire household, the Bible lets us know, was baptized as well. Is anyone else having deja vu right now? Didn't we read a story similar to that about six chapters before in Acts 10? By a man named Cornelius? That when people ask me who's Lydia, I like to say she's the female Cornelius. Because the Bible lets us know Cornelius was a devout man. He was a powerful military man. He had a lot of people that listened to him, that were subject to his authority. He prayed, he fasted, he gave alms. And the Bible says Peter was given a vision. And God sent Peter to Cornelius' house to share the gospel with him. And as a result of Cornelius' faith, other people were baptized and received the Holy Spirit while Peter was teaching. I want that to happen too, Jesus. Amen. The word of God's that powerful. It can happen. Amen. And so what we realize is that Lydia was a person of influence. That her household followed her example. Most likely she had servants. And they followed her lead to say, you know what? Lydia's getting baptized. 
I know that she prays. I trust her. She's a good woman. She takes care of all of us. I'm going to be baptized too. And so here we see the birth of the church in Philippi. Have you ever heard the church in Philippi mentioned before? Have you heard of the book of Philippians? Well, this is where it all starts with this merchant, this successful businesswoman named Lydia. They were the ones that Paul would write his letter to that we call Philippians. And so here's some additional information about Lydia for your consideration quickly. Lydia was a Gentile. Her name indicates that she was a place from, uh, from a place called Lydia, which was a region in Asia Minor, and maybe she was on a business trip when she met Paul and Silas. I like to think of it that way, that God just put her there at the right time. Lydia gave Paul and Silas, um, and most likely Luke and Timothy, a place to stay after they were beaten, after they were thrown in prison. You remember the story? They're thrown in prison, they're bloody and bruised and just been terribly treated, and they start singing at midnight. Remember that? Paul and Silas prayed, and, and the prison was shaken, right? And that poor Philippian jailer was so freaked out that he was going to lose his job, that he was going to kill himself, and they said, do thyself no harm, for we are all here, right? And what happened? The jailer got baptized, him and his household. That was just kind of a normal thing with these guys, just powerful individuals. And so Poor Lydia, she probably got the word that these people who had shared the gospel with her had changed her life. Now they're in jail. And don't you know this bold new convert says, you come stay at my house for a while. Girl had guts. I mean, when you read that story, there's what, what had happened, what, what ended them up in jail was that precious slave girl who was possessed she told fortunes for a living. And the Bible says, I love this, I'm sorry. The Bible says she kept talking to Paul and he was so annoyed. The ESV uses the word annoyed. He was so annoyed by her that he just turned around and cast the devil out of her and kept going. <laughs> Again, how powerful are you? Jesus' name, get out and just keep going. And, and so the Bible says that her owners were furious because their income was gone. And so it's those owners that kind of drag him to the magistrates, kind of drag him into the courthouse, if you will, start accusing him of all this stuff. This mob shows up, and that's when they start beating him, and they end up throwing him in prison. So these guys have been through a lot, but apparently Lydia wasn't intimidated by an angry mob. Lydia was not intimidated by corrupt religious leaders. She's, she realized, you know what? God did something amazing in my life, and he used those men to do it. And so they're going to find safety in my home. And I'm going to take care of them. And I'm going to do what I can to make sure that other people hear that message that has changed me. Amen. And so Lydia was the first member of the church there in Philippi. Back to our list here. The church in Philippi, we know, became a source of financial support and encouragement to the Apostle Paul. We know this because throughout the book of Philippians, he tells them, if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for your support of me. He even says that there was one point where the Philippian church were the only ones supporting him financially. And all of that began with this conversion of Lydia, the seller of purple. Lydia facilitated the first gatherings of the Philippian church. God used her success, her resources, her home to give that newly formed congregation 
a meeting place. Isn't that amazing? That there were resources at Lydia's disposal that immediately became a blessing to the early church. Immediately became a blessing to those disciples. And finally, most likely it was Lydia who became the pastor of the church in Philippi. I didn't know that when I first began my fascination with Lydia. And then when I found that out, I was like, mm, Jesus, just did something for me. Like, I knew you were my girl. Thank you. Thank you. Inspiring. But she would not be the only one in leadership there, actually. The Bible says that Paul calls out two women. You, um, I'm going to, hold on, I, I spelled it out phonetically. Euodia and Sintuhi. Two women who had been his co-labors in the gospel. And Paul actually calls them out because there's a dispute among them that is so intense it's disruptive to the Philippian church. I'll just think about that for a minute. Oh, the power of us women. We can just get it all together. Wow. We are a force for good in the kingdom. But when we do not have it together, my God. The apostle Paul had to deal with them. Think of that. Paul, as powerful as he was, he called them out. And apparently they were in leadership. So it was very, very disruptive and detrimental to the church. And so that's why he mentioned them. But they were women in leadership nonetheless. So let's just focus on that. And so as we come to a close, I want us to look at applications from Lydia's example in Scripture. The first one is that God responded to Lydia's prayer and to her devotion. Clearly, she was devout in what she believed. She was at a prayer meeting when Paul met her. And I have to believe that that was not the first time that she had been to a meeting like that. And so I think the first thing that the Bible tells us about her is probably the most important thing that we could know about her, is that Lydia was faithful to God and to what she believed. The second thing is that God used Lydia's openness to share the gospel with all uh, of the people around her. Think about it. Her conversion was no, not just about her. It was about her household. It was about that city getting a church established and hearing the gospel for the first time. The next point, the next application we can make is that God used Lydia's success to further the work in that area. We've talked about the fact that most likely she was wealthy, but her success had not hardened her heart to the things of God. In fact, we, when you read, you see quite the opposite is true. Immediately, her home is open to the disciples. Immediately, she's sharing the gospel with those in her household. And then the last point of application is that her conversion resulted in the care and support of those in leadership, those disciples. She opened her home to them, and three times... In the New Testament, I did not know this till today, we are instructed to show hospitality. Clearly, Lydia is an example of that. That the Bible speaks of that in very spiritual terms. To be hospitable to people. Why? Because our treatment of one another, believer or unbeliever, is very important to God. That is a principle consistent in scripture, and we see this exemplified powerfully in the life of a new convert named Lydia. Acts chapter 16, verse 40 is the, the fifth and final verse where she is mentioned. And it says, So they went out of the prison, meaning Paul and Silas, and visited Lydia, 
And when they had seen the brothers, meaning the, the other believers there in her home, they encouraged them and then they departed. And God used Lydia to facilitate the beginning of the work in Philippi. Amen. And so now it's apt time. Do you remember that? It's been a little while. All right. So I have a question for you to consider with someone near you. And please make sure that everybody has somebody to discuss with. But my question tonight is very simple. What about Lydia's story stands out to you specifically? And if you have time, maybe get into why that is. Why, why does something uh, in particular stand out to you about her? All right, so I'm going to give you three minutes. Three minutes to talk among yourselves. is a buzz. Sounds wonderful. Hope you're sharing deep theological insight and all of that is awesome. I'll invite you to stand with me. We're going to conclude with prayer and I just want to try to wrap this up very quickly. But I just want to challenge you with this thought and I um, have known that I would teach this for several weeks and even at camp meeting and on Sunday, I felt such confirmation from uh, those that the Lord used to preach his word to ask you, where is Lydia in your life? Who is somebody who already knows the Lord and they do not have the fullness of the truth? Because I think sometimes when we think about the gospel, we think about the Great Commission, part of our anxiety is we think of all the people who are not open to the gospel for whatever reason. And that's not to say they don't deserve to hear it. But I feel the Spirit compelling me to say to you, but what about the people who are open to it? And we're either not paying attention or we're just too afraid of what they might think of us, what they might do or, or not do. I, I think it was Brother Hernandez who's, who made a comment to say, if they don't, okay. So What? He did what the Lord said. You know, in that story he told about the hardware store. I mean, that is the prompting of the Lord. And I, I just feel like that's kind of where we're at as a church. Think about, I was just talking to Holly about this. Think about the fact that when Paul met that sweet woman by the river that day, he had no idea he was talking to the pastor of a new church plant. He just obeyed the voice of the Lord. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, Silas, we've been redirected. We're going somewhere else. We're going to Macedonia. And they come upon this woman. And her heart is wide open. 
I mean, for, for what we know, what the Bible says, he shared the gospel with her, and the next thing, she's in the river getting baptized. That there are people who are ready to receive what you and I have because there's more. Because the book of Acts is full of examples of good people. They weren't pagans. They weren't like Paul fighting against the church. There were people like Cornelius and Lydia who were giving, who were loving God, who were praying. And God redirected his disciples out of their way to make sure that they had a chance to hear the gospel. Because it's that important. Because God's will is for everyone to be saved. And that is why we have got to get to a place of spiritual maturity and desire and submission to the Holy Spirit to say, I feel like I need to go to Kroger today. And that sounds nuts. Sure it does. I'm sure Silas was probably a little irritated. Like, what do you mean? We have a list of churches to go to. We took a few days off and now we're going out of our way. It's not going to be convenient. It will not make sense. And yet the Bible proves over and over again that when God's people move with him and do what they ask him to do, or he asks them to do, rather, that things happen. People's lives are changed. I remember clearly Bishop Grandad saying, whatever the church needs is in the harvest already. That was the conviction of his heart. And I believe the Bible proves that. There needed to be a work in Philippi. And quite frankly, if we look at the facts, Paul and Silas did not have the time to establish a church. They they were on another assignment from the council in Jerusalem. And so God knew there is a woman who I have blessed. She is successful. Her heart is open. She's at the right place at the right time. And her conversion is all that needs to happen for all of a sudden there to be a church in Philippi. And when I was praying today and studying this, I thought of that list that our Barnabas group made, Stephanie, of all of those ministries we want to see come out of this church, all these places in the city, Marcus, where we want to establish something that says, you know what, you're not coming to us, so we're coming to you with the gospel. And I felt the Lord just stir in my heart to say, well, where's Lydia? There are people in this city, I believe, in this sleepy, conservative German town who are ready to receive what we have. And they are in place, not just so that they receive the gospel, but God has positioned them to help establish his kingdom further. It's the only way it's going to happen. There is so much to do before the Lord returns. And God has promised that all flesh would receive an outpouring, right? Isn't that what we say we believe? And so there has to be Lydia's. There has to be Cornelius's that are already there. Their hearts are already open, but God is waiting on us or it is not his time yet and he will send us to these people. And so I want you to start praying differently if you're not already. I want you to be inspired by stories like Brother Hernandez going to a hardware store just to pray for somebody. I mean, that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that stir your heart to say, I want to be a part of something like that? I bet you almost all of us have a story like that. My granddad was invited to Sunday school because his friend wanted to win a new Bible. 
And here I stand because that precious teenager just needed a Bible. Thank you, Jesus, that somebody invited my granddad to church. Sure, he could have said no, but he said yes, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And the rest is history. Here we stand at the Calvary Church. And there are more people like that. And so I just want you to pray with me that God would move us in this direction of faith, of being spirit-led, of being mission-minded. I know that we have lives and we have responsibilities, but all it takes is one nudge of the Holy Spirit to get a whole lot of things accomplished for the kingdom. All right, so let's pray together. Jesus, I love you. I feel the power of your word at work in this place to inspire us, to give us great faith. God, to give us a vision, Lord, like what you see when you see the city of Cincinnati. Lord, where is Lydia in Springdale? Where is Cornelius in Liberty Township? Good people, Lord, that are ready to receive the gospel. The enemy would love, our flesh would love to keep us from doing anything because we're afraid of those who are not open to the gospel. But Lord, there are people who are. There are people more talented, with more resources, that are better connected than we are. And you want to make us a part of that process by your prompting, by the faith that comes from speaking the word of God, trusting you in a moment to pray, to encourage somebody, to befriend somebody, and totally depend on you to do what only you can do, just like the disciples did in the book of Acts. Let this be a revival church. Let this be a spirit-led church, not just when we're in service, but when we're in our jobs, when we're in our homes, and suddenly we feel compelled to go outside and talk to our neighbor. Only you know, God, the potential that rests in these conversations, in these appointments that you give us. I pray against fear. I pray against intimidation. I pray against complacency in the family of God. We have got to get your word out to other people. We are responsible for the harvest that you have promised us. And you will not just send people into these walls. You will send them to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Direct our lives through your word this week. I pray. Bring us together on Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.